Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily's The Sidebar, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm currently a criminal defense lawyer based here in Los Angeles and previously an LA County prosecutor for nearly a decade. We're recording this on Thursday, May 26, 2022. And today we are joined by Lamore Mujdahi Azad, a Los Angeles-based <laughs> lawyer specializing in family law. How, how did I do, Lamore? Hi, Josh. You did okay. You did okay. <laughs> it's Mujdahi Azad. Just pronounce every single letter. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I give myself a C plus. I'll try again later. Perfect. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, lot to talk about uh, this week, uh, Lamore. Um, and before we jump into all of it, obviously the big case is the closing up of the Depp v. Heard case. But before we jump in, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got started. Absolutely. So I have been a family law litigator for about 10 years now, and I've always worked in this space. I've always done exclusively family law matters, and I've always been engaged in many cases involving domestic violence. I've worked in that space for, I would say, over 15 years. I've worked with domestic wow. violence um, victims, survivors. It's always, you know, in family law, it's always related, unfortunately. But I do everything from prenups, postnups, enforcement of judgments, contempt, restraining orders, all of those things. So custody, support, divorce, they're all they're all connected in the family law space. And what I've done for the past couple of years with my own firm about the last four years, I would say, is I usually co-counsel with bigger firms for my high net worth, high complex cases. Gotcha. OK, well, fantastic. I mean, we're, we're excited to hear your thoughts on these cases, especially uh, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. But uh, before we jump into that kind of right up your alley, there's a the few things I wanted to talk to you about that are, are kind of different to both of us. First of all, Tesla Autopilot is under the first manslaughter case that it's seen in Los Angeles, California. Kevin Riyadh is believed to be the first driver to face manslaughter charges over a collision while using Tesla's autopilot self-driving feature. Now, this feature keeps the car as, at a designated speed um, set by the driver and adjust, adjust steering to keep the driver in the center of the lane. But this isn't like, you know, where you plug in a destination on a map and it brings you there. Okay. Uh, the, the feature issues a warning if the driver's hands, in fact, are taken off of the wheel. And diagnostics in this case confirmed that Kevin's hands were on the wheel when the crash occurred. Gilberto Lopez and Maria Nieves were killed while making a left-hand turn at a turn signal when Riyadh's Model S smashed into them. It's a very sad story. Riyadh's Tesla was traveling, though, however, at 74 miles an hour on a surface street when, he, when the collision occurred. It has not been confirmed if the light was red when Riyadh went through the intersection, and uh, data uh, from the collision also showed that no brakes were applied by Riyadh in the six minutes before the crash. So, Lamar, what, what do you what do what do you make of this case? We're talking about something first of its kind. Really, a human being is essentially being held responsible for the actions of a vehicle, kind of. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think kind of is the main point of all of this, right? It's on autopilot. I think most of us are familiar with cruise control, right? So it sounds to be very similar. But if your hands are on the wheel and you're the one who sets the speed why wouldn't you be responsible? Two right. people died, right? So right. if your hands are on the wheel, you set the speed and on a surface street, you set it to 70 something, 
first of its kind, but I think we're going to see a similar result in this perhaps that we usually do in, in any car accident case of similar kind. Yeah, no, you make, you make a good point that the, it's not just that the vehicle took over. He's putting in the presets, right? He's putting right. in the how fast are we going to be going? He knows that they're on a surface street, or at least you should know. Right. And I guess that safety measure of having your hands on the wheel is the best that Tesla can do to say you should be paying attention to the driving as it's going along. Um, now, he's looking at manslaughter. This could carry a potential prison time. Do you think that's too harsh? I mean, I understand that he should be held responsible, but at the same time, you know, maybe the vehicle plays some role in this. Do you think that gets him any kind of mitigation out of this? I think we might see a little bit of mitigation to a lower charge, something less severe than manslaughter. But when you're dealing with the death of two people, I'm not surprised they charged him like this. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's, I think what you pointed out is probably the most determining factor in how they charged it is is the speed also kind of funny to me that he hasn't applied the brakes for they said six miles that's a long oh, time to never pump the brakes oh yeah that's where where were they and then the field like where was he driving exactly in my head and i could be totally wrong I, it sounded like maybe he was on the highway and had exited and and never applied the brakes but oh. still that's okay. a very fast speed to be taking on an off ramp here in Los Angeles. You're 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 from around here. You you know yeah. that's a that's fast to be exiting yeah. a freeway. Um, the the families of the deceased have filed suits against both Riyadh and Tesla. Do you think um, Tesla has opened itself up to greater uh, liability here by the mere fact that they have this kind of technology in their vehicles? Yes, and I think that they knew that out the gate. And I think that this being the first case of its kind is um, they're lucky. They're lucky that it's the first one. It will be unfortunate for them if these kinds of, you know, these accidents continue to occur. But I think for them, it also unfortunately makes them look a little bit better because their customer was barely hurt in this crash. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, th this technology, I don't think is going anywhere, right? I mean, Absolutely they continue not. to advance in this, and I don't think this is going to put the brakes, no pun intended, on this type of technology. But I think you make a very good point. They, they're going to have to kind of bake into the cake the idea that there's going to be increased liability for them as a manufacturer. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, really sad story, but but it, it's interesting from a legal perspective and we'll we'll see where things we'll keep an eye on it and see where things go from here. Switching gears completely uh, to the other side of the country, um, we're talking about who a woman who is accused of murdering, get this, dismembering a man after sex has been declared competent for trial. We're, we're talking out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Taylor Shabiznes, 24 years old, was charged in Wisconsin with first degree intentional homicide, mutilating a corpse, and third degree sexual assault. Uh, Shabiznes told investigators that she and the victim, Shad Therion, were using drugs, including meth, and engaging in sex when she strangled him. She then allegedly dismembered his body and placed body parts in various locations in the home and vehicle. Officers reportedly found the head of the victim in a bucket. Uh, Taylor has undergone two mental evaluations. 
uh, after her defense asked for a second opinion and they concurred that she could understand the legal proceedings and assist in her defense. Um, help us, Lamore, understand a little bit. The, the the I understand this is kind of outside of your, your area of expertise, but we're talking about the difference between mental fitness to stand trial is different from what might we consider an insanity defense. What are they trying to consider when they're talking about mental fitness to stand trial? I think what they're trying to determine is can she help her defense, Yeah. right? Can she help them gather facts to figure out what happened? I just want to know, what did this guy do? What did he do? Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Right. Oh, my yeah. God. But, you know, apparently the first psych eval was fine. And then the second one was fine, which doesn't make sense. I feel like when you hear these facts, the first thing you think is, oh, she's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean that with the most compassion because there has to be something medically wrong and you have to feel bad for someone like this that it didn't just stop at the dismembering or you know those 10 horrible things that you just described it didn't just stop there it was let's take his head off put it in a bucket let's do 20 other things to him and then at the end of that you remember as someone listening in oh yeah they were also on drugs that's how yeah. that's how this may have started uh, let me get even more kind of gruesome for you if you're ready for it. Uh, oh, do you know the amount of strength it takes to dismember a body? I mean, we're not talking oh. about cutting cutting a, a, a birthday cake. Oh, this to, it, this is labor intensive to 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 cut someone apart and time intensive. This didn't happen in a matter of a few seconds. I imagine she spent half an hour or more doing this. Um, you 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 nailed it on the head though with the idea that. When we're talking competency to stand trial, it's can she communicate with her lawyers? Can she right. answer questions? Are, is she able to have a conversation with them long enough to help them defend her? Mm -hmm. Insanity or temporary insanity, entirely different thing. And I think absolutely that's going to be their defense here because you, you, you pointed out, and that's what jurors are going to say, how could somebody do this and not be completely insane, right? Right. Right, right. Now, exactly. she's already admitted to the murder, but said that she blacked out during the murder. Uh, obviously, she's going <sighs> to, I imagine, meth and the use of drugs are going to play some role in that. Is any of that convincing to you? Do you think any of this has any traction with jurors or is it just too heinous of a crime for them to let somebody, quote unquote, go because they were insane? It's way too heinous. Blacked out when? After you slice off the head and put it in the bucket or after you did. Oh, my, I don't I don't even want to repeat the things you said, because in my head, I've, I've played it out. And it's so right. I can't I can't even understand it because you do one thing. OK, maybe it stops. You blacked out or you blacked out during it. I get it is so hor horrific just listening to it once once and imagine a jury days and yeah. days hours and hours she you know yeah the insanity it, you have to be insane and they they are gonna believe that she was in she was insane yeah well clearly she was mentally disturbed right, right. i mean clearly right. there was right. something not right taking place in her head that's right but the question's going to become i mean because when police arrive according to reports she immediately they, they ask her what happened and she says well that's a that's a long story or that's a, that, a oh. funny that you should ask or something but she's not 
babbling incoherently and she's not mm. thinking that she's possessed by, by the devil, right? I mean, she's she's communicating with them, which undercuts kind of her insanity defense. But you're, you're right. right. We immediately jump to that idea of who could, why, why on earth would somebody do this otherwise, you know? No, I, I was going to ask, do you think there's any angle to the fact that it's a female on male type of violence? Hmm, that's a very interesting question because her response to the police is very, very chilling. And if she hadn't admitted to it, I, you know, I don't know because the angle really is what you said before, the strength that it takes to do this. And I haven't seen photos of either of them or know anything about their physique, but the typical argument or angle usually is this woman is smaller, less powerful physically than this man. So then you have to think what took over her and how weak did he become during whatever they were doing for this to have happened in this way? Yeah, God, just it is. The more you think about it, the more chilling it becomes, the more kind of makes you sick to your stomach. Yeah, gross, gross. Well well put. (laughs) Let's go to a case that we've been tracking for a while. Um, This is Ryan Duke was actually acquitted in Tara Grinstad's murder. Now, that doesn't mean he was completely acquitted, but we're talking about Irwin County, Georgia. Ryan Duke was found not guilty of malice murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, or burglary in the death of Tara Grinstad. However, he was, uh, pardon me, he was arrested for the crime in 2017 and gave confession to authorities. He reportedly confessed after 90 seconds of interrogation. At that time, he told police that he had killed Tara in a burglary gone wrong. In trial, however, he testified and refuted the earlier confession with his defense arguing that it was coercion and that their client was under the influence of drugs at the time. He testified that it was, in fact, Bo Dukes, no relation to Ryan Duke, who had murdered the teacher and former beauty pageant queen, and that Bo had enlisted him to help dispose of the body. Ryan allegedly didn't come forward in earlier because he feared retribution from Bo. The defense called Bo Dukes to the stand where he pled the fifth in kind of a dramatic moment in court. Um, He was found guilty, and we're talking about Ryan, however, of concealing a death in the crime. He received a maximum sentence for the offense of 10 years. He has uh, five years served already, which is kind of disturbing. Interestingly, Bo Dukes had similarly claimed that Ryan had actually committed the murder and that he had just helped him. However, things didn't work out as well for Bo. Uh, His trial ended in 2019, and he was found guilty of concealing Tara Grinstad's death and lying to Georgia Bureau of Investigation. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. So a lot going on here. Um, My first question is, do you think this is kind of a miscarriage of justice and that you have two men both implicated, both pointing the finger at each other, both convicted of something, but one of them doing a dramatically more amount of time than the other. Yes, of course, it's a miscarriage of justice. That is that is what gets social media attention when things like this happen. It is, and I don't, again, I don't know what either of them look like. I've seen um, the first guy, Duke. I've seen, I've seen him, but not Bo Dukes. I don't know what they look like. I don't know what their backgrounds are. I don't know how they were on the stand. But yes, when you look on paper and you see that this person was charged with this, 
This person was charged with the identical crime. They were both found guilty of an identical crime in an identical way. But they one serves more prison time than the other double yeah. than the other person. Of course, that's unfair. Of yeah. course, that's unfair. I mean, we'll have to get to the bottom of what kind of sentencing guidelines and everything they have yes, out there in absolutely. Georgia. But it is uh, just at first blush. It, it just sounds like something something went wrong here. And and then the fact that really no one has been convicted of this woman's murder at the end of the day. Uh, you know, one thing that we pointed out is that um, they called in talking about in Ryan's case, they called Bo Dukes, the, the co-suspect to the stand simply to have him take the Fifth Amendment in front of the jury. What impact do you think that had on the jury in this trial? Oh, you know what? The jury must have, or I would think that they likely thought, here is the perpetrator. This no. guy that made no. Ryan do all of these things that would take the sort of guilt away from a jury, right? To set the man who's on trial free. At least we know who the murderer is. It's that other person. Justice will be served because they have that other person they can go after. They may have thought that and, and that's why they felt okay with their verdict. I think you're absolutely right. I think jurors, as much as you ask them to follow the instructions and follow the law, right. they're, they're just folks, right? And and people sometimes do that kind of calculus in your head, like you said. Yeah. There's there's something else about the kind of the the television idea that the Fifth Amendment has taken on that people think, oh, you plead the fifth, that means you're guilty of the thing that you're being asked about. And it's hard to explain that there's many, many reasons why somebody might take the Fifth Amendment. But again, that's a nuance that might have been lost on the jurors here. Uh, one yeah, last question right. on this. Um, I, 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 this idea that he gave this long confession after 90 seconds of interrogation, obviously the jury didn't rely upon it. Do you think the prosecution may have put too many eggs in one basket in relying too heavily on that confession? Yes, I think the prosecution probably forgot that everyone watched Making a Murderer. They probably <laughs> forgot that, right? <laughs> because yeah. people are not, you know, we're not in a time anymore where people trust the police or they trust uh, a DA, right? The prosecution, they're going tough on people for, you know, uh, they're kind of coercing them into saying things. 90 seconds in, he probably just said whatever to get a cup of water. You know, they may have been thinking that. I don't know that they were thinking that, but I know that there's a lot of um, mistrust when it comes to um, police, and just people in power, really, you know, anyone on the government yeah. side, no one, no one's trusting them right now. Very, very good point. Very good point. Well, whatever it was, something played a role in all their heads because yeah. they they didn't walk him out the door, but they certainly walked him out the door with far less time than he would have received if he was convicted of murder. So right. it's it's kind of a sad ending. I mean, there's no winners here, but it's too bad that there's not really a, a, a resolution to who took this poor woman's life. Very sad. All right. Um, this is the one that you've been rating for, Lamore. We're talking about Depp v. Heard, and, and this week has been about as good as any of the weeks. First of all, uh, we're talking about Johnny Depp's defamation suit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard, uh, is soon going to be coming to an end in Fairfax County, Virginia. Depp is suing Heard for $50 million, claiming a Washington Post op-ed by Heard defamed Depp and caused him to lose work. 
Earlier this week, Kate Moss took the stand on Wednesday to testify that she was never pushed down the stairs or abused by Depp. You remember this testimony was triggered by this kind of gotcha moment in court when Amber was testifying about an event that one of the alleged incidents that took place on stairs. And she said, and I thought of Kate Moss and the whole Depp team reacted to that with practically got out of their seats with high fives because they knew this was coming. Uh, Johnny Depp returned to the stand for rebuttal, and he issued blanket denials of Amber's claims, and he testified at the very end that no matter what happens, I did get here, I did tell the truth, and I have spoken up for what I've been carrying on my back reluctantly for six years. It was a really emotional kind of end to his testimony. However, just this morning, Amber retook the stand to rebut Johnny's claims and gave more emotional testimony about the alleged abuse that she suffered. But that didn't last long because Camille Vasquez, a rising star in the legal community, then began her cross of Amber again, and it was remarkable. I don't know if you got to watch much of it today, Lamore, but at one point, Amber apparently admitted that the op-ed was in fact about Johnny. Incredible. And at another point, Vasquez laid out facts pointing to Amber as being the leak of this now infamous video to TMZ. Both sides have now rested their case and closing arguments are scheduled for tomorrow. Lamore, I know you've been watching this trial closely. Jump right in. What are your thoughts? What's going to happen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, listen, because it's a jury trial, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I'll tell you this. I think at the very start, People in the legal community, myself included, we thought, why did Johnny Depp take this to trial? He lost the suit with the son in the UK. She already got a TRO. We know there's no finding of domestic violence with the TRO, but if you're talking about a jury, they don't really know that. How is he gonna win? She didn't defame him with that article. Those are innocent words in this magazine that no newspaper, no one read, right? But. As the trial progressed and you kind of, you sit back and you you compare the two, right? Who is more credible? Who is more genuine? Yeah. It seems, right, that yeah. Johnny Depp and his witnesses are more credible and genuine. They admitted to, yes, he does drugs. We do drugs together. Of course, there are photos of him passed out, of course. Amber took the stand and kind of, wanted to make us think that she's never abused this guy except one time when she thought about Kate Moss. So she had to defend herself because she thought he was going to push her down the stairs or push her sister down the stairs. Right. And it's like, um, we've heard a lot of audio and we've seen a lot of photos and texts in which you did perpetrate DV against him. That doesn't mean he didn't do it to you as well, but you kind of have to take ownership of the evidence. It's right there in front of the jury's eyes. And for them to think you're genuine and credible in everything that you say, you have to own up to at least some of it. She really never did that except in that one moment that then blew up in her face because she mentioned Kate Moss. And, you know, we already knew right as attorneys kate moss is going to come in there and say what she's going to say that never happened and her testimony was very limited right it was only only with regard to that stare incident nothing else that's it so we already knew she was going to say it never happened to us as attorneys i don't know that that was compelling but to a jury that may have been sleeping for five weeks right they may have been like whoa what does kate moss look like now 
right? Mm-hmm. And they're staring at right. her and she's and she's kind of just saying, you know, Johnny Depp was pr- Prince Charming back then and we're 30 years into it. And I, I still think he's a great guy. He never did anything wrong. He was never violent towards me. Again, does that mean he was never violent towards Amber Heard? No, that's the problem. We will never ever know what happened between the two of them. Only they know, and the jury's verdict isn't really going to tell us much other than how did they apply the elements in this case. Yeah, you make several excellent points. One thing you said that I've never really thought all that much about is that this case isn't about was Amber ever violent against Johnny? Um, It's really about was she lying when she said that he was violent against her? And so it had her... Had she conceded a little bit, it might have added to her um, believability, right? If if Absolutely. if she had testified that, listen, it was a it was a horrible relationship, and we were violent. We were both violent to each other. Yes, I admit, I I did some things I regret having done, but he did things to me, and that's what we're all sitting here about. But she did something that I think has been a problem in all of her testimony is that she seems to have oversold it. She's saying, I never touched that man, but for one time. Well, we've got audio of of them Mm -hmm. talking about her hitting him a bunch of Mm -hmm. other times. And then, like, I've always thought, and that, you know, listen, first of all, she should be testifying to the truth. But if she's not, then she's doing an awful job of, of selling a lie because she talks about how he hit her in the face with a cast on his hand so many times that she lost count, but then was able to cover that up with a little bit of makeup the next day. I, I'm sorry, no, nobody's going to believe that. But if she had said, you know, he backhanded me one time um, and it smacked me across the face and I had some redness I was able to cover up with makeup, maybe people are going, okay, I, c- I could see that happening. It just, do you agree? I mean, do you think that she just went f- way too far with what she was trying to get the jurors to buy? Yes, it sounded to me like a lot of embellishment, right? I think that maybe to her, she thought, okay, for this jury to believe me because we're sitting in a room with only Johnny Depp fans, right? For this jury to believe me, I need to give them something to remember, moments to remember. I can't just say he backhanded me and it hurt me a little. I have to say he hit me so hard with his rings. He had the cast on. It hurt so badly. I was red as a, as a, as a plum, whatever, whatever color, whatever, you know, (laughs) she had to, she had to embellish um, every single detail. And I'm not saying she's, she's lying, but it was just a little too much for anyone to believe because the words didn't match the evidence, right? The words themselves also are evidence. The testimony is evidence. But when you also have a photo, which we don't always have, right? When we're putting on DV trials, we don't always have a photo. When you describe it in that way, some people have said, I was waiting for a picture just like Rihanna, Right. Right. But we didn't, right. Very good point. Very right? good point. Yeah. Yeah. But but we didn't get that. We got something that people are, are saying kind of looks like um, when you get Botox or when you do this. And I don't I don't like that kind of uh, commentary with this kind of stuff. But we're we're it's not a bench trial. It's not a judge who's thinking the way that we might think it's a jury. Right. So one of them might look at the picture and say, I looked like that when I got my Botox. 
That's what I look like when I got fillers, right? These yeah. are normal people because they might also be thinking, oh my God, is this a Rihanna, Chris Brown situation too? Then they see the photo and it's right. not as compelling as the words. So that that just goes again to credibility. Yeah, and, and the fact that she, she never went to seek medical care that she that, you know there's no one who witnessed any of this i mean the corroboration was just not there the only the only person she called was her sister mm. her sister's obviously got some bias some some skin in the game and then apparently johnny's team calls another witness to kind of rebut the sister so it's even from and i know i'm kind of looking through it through the lens of kind of a criminal perspective and what do you have to prove but i just don't know if they even got to the burden of what this case was that they were supposed to prove um, you know, what do you think about, I, I want to talk a little bit about her cross-examination today because it was, it was surprising to me that she took the stand because of how kind of brutal the cross-examination was the first time around and they didn't have to call her up again, right. but, but her team made the decision and maybe she made the decision, you know, I mean, you know how it is dealing with clients. Sometimes they say, listen, put me back up there and you got to kind of let them own their own destiny. Yeah. But in any case, she went up there and didn't rebut a whole lot. She just basically talked about kind of the pain that she's gone through almost since the lawsuit, right? It was more like right. I'm suffering in public opinion and it was very dramatic and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say histrionic and, and everything else. But it opened her up to all this new cross-examination. And for instance, one of the things that has been all over Twitter, if you're following any of this, was this idea that she basically admitted that that op-ed was about Johnny. Is this a backfire? Was that a bad move for her to take the stand again? So it's never a bad move to want to get the final word. The problem right. is leave that for your closing arguments because you didn't do so well on cross-examination before. Now, she got a, a little a, a redirect right after, right? And I don't think it was enough to clean everything up, but she did get the final word. The, the, the problem is jurors, when you're going back and forth, they're more alert, right? So we started with her doing what Johnny Depp has done very well from the start of the case, giving this very passionate story about what she's gone through. Very sad, very compassionate. Then the cross-examination where she has to argue with Camille Vasquez, right? And go back and forth while Camille is saying, are you calling Kate Moss a liar? Yeah. Right? Things yeah. like that, right? And that might that might wake the jury up, but then we have her redirect, which is soft again and tells the story again. But, you know, with, uh, like, like we were saying, with the jury, I don't know what they would take away from from that, I think a closing argument may have been better. The, the cross killed her. The cross has always yeah. killed her. That's yeah. the problem. But she did get the final word, maybe the redirect and the initial um, testimony before the cross is what what sticks out in the jury's mind. It's hard for me to believe that that, that would, but I'm sure that that's what they probably thought. Yeah, yeah. One, one more question about this cross. Another thing that uh, I thought Miss Camille Vasquez did an incredible job of it. She basically started to do their own closing argument through mm. her cross-examination of Amber Heard, especially when it came to this thing about the leak of the video to TMZ. Now, that's not what this case is about, right? But it is, I think, something that will play in the jurors' minds if they feel like 
she's been orchestrating this thing from the from the get-go and that this is all a way to kind of put pressure on him to get money and public opinion and everything else did you did you think that that played out well in the cross-examination and if if you can could you explain for us what what exactly they were the point was with that tmz thing so it's funny because the initial testimony from the former employee for me was not as compelling as when we saw Amber Heard's 2016 uh, deposition where she caught herself basically revealing that she was the source, right? That days ago already did it for me. So I even said on TikTok, this TMZ former employee didn't really tell us much that, you know, that we didn't know that Amber already told us because Johnny's team's doing such a great job. But I think what they were trying to do on this cross-examination on the final day was remind everyone, she might say, that she still has love for Johnny, right? Because she doesn't want to look like there's any actual malice that she made all this stuff up. But she's the one who leaked the most unfavorable footage of this man, her husband, her wow. husband. She leaked that video when she was going in to get a no notice ex party. And you heard from TMZ, they had a clue about being at the courthouse. Someone told them that they should be at the Stanley Moss courthouse and get take her photo. And she turned to the side and she did this. And I think at one point Camille said, or Amber had said, if I had wanted to do that, I could have done it years and years ago. I could have leaked it. I had so many things on this man. And Camille said, I thought you said earlier, you didn't know how to do that. <sighs> didn't you yeah. say you didn't know how to do that? What do you mean you could have done it years and years ago with all this evidence that you have? That's why they brought this TMZ guy in. That's why they played that for that uh, prior deposition, right? So I think that it goes to, or they want it to go towards actual malice because she's sitting there saying, I have love for him. I wanted to protect him. I didn't want the press to know. I, uh, you know, you went in for a no notice ex party against Johnny Depp when he wasn't even in the same state as you. What protection did you need i think that right. was their point yeah 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 the towards the end of the cross there it got really really chippy mm -hmm. and i thought you know what you're starting to the the true colors are starting to come out here boy are are we getting a glimpse of you that seems very similar to what we've heard in audio and video that you've not revealed to everybody uh since you've been testifying here in court it was it was a remarkable moment yeah. um you had pointed this out that really what this is all about. I, I think we can both agree. I don't know. I don't know Johnny Depp's financial situation, but I don't think this is about money at all. This is obviously about him trying to repair his uh, persona, his reputation. If that's what this is about, do you think he's won in the court of pub public opinion rather than in, in a court in, in, in Virginia? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, day one, as I was posting it on TikTok, day one, we kind of all were looking at the crowd outside. And I think the consensus was this is not a meet and greet. Go back home. Let this man have his day in court. Let this woman tell her story and let's figure it out. Right. right. But after that, it wasn't just one crowd. It was a line of people. Then it was people DMing me, letting me know, I'm in line, Lamore. Can't wait to tell you what's going on in court today. Can't wait to tell you what the jurors look like, right? And, uh -huh. and people wanted to know. We will never get, listen, a Johnny Depp movie is what? Two hours, max, maybe three hours if they're right. really trying to, you know. Uh, but a six week 
trial. You will never get coverage like this ever again in your life. It was Johnny's case. We heard his story first when every single person, including the jury most likely, was most engaged, right? You can't do this. I've asked TikTok, you couldn't do this with an Oprah interview. You had to do it this way, right? To tell your story and have the world listen to her story. Compare the two. Who do you believe? Johnny Depp, who can't even look at her? Or Amber Heard, who's not making any facial expressions until the internet becomes curious as to why she's not making any facial expressions, right? So he, yeah, I don't think it was about money because Johnny Depp is Johnny Depp, but whatever point he was trying to prove, I think that he proved it. And the, the public is obsessed with him more than ever. I see Gen Z that I, you know, I what, what Johnny Depp movies do you guys know? I ask them all the time and I'm like, oh, like Pirates? Pirates <laughs> is great, love it, obsessed. But did you guys know him before? He was also great before. But sure. now he has these diehard Gen Z fans, right? So, yeah, yeah he's he's one in the court of public opinion. Absolutely. And he won first week, week one, week one. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that's all he was trying to accomplish. And I think yeah. he accomplished it in an incredible way. I mean, you, it doesn't take long for you to per- peruse social media, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it's obvious that he has a, a strong backing of a lot of people. And like you point out, a lot of people of different generations who are who are yes. uh, now rediscovering and becoming big fans of him. Awesome. Lamore, thank you so much for coming on this week. We, we know you're very active on social media. I know you've got hund- hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok, right? Where, yes. where can yes. people find <laughs> more about you? Thank you so much, Josh. This is really, really fun. They can find me on TikTok at Lawyer Lamore. I'm on Instagram as well, L-I-M-O-R. I also have a podcast called Love and Order. Um, I've talked about the Depp versus her trial. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you again. Um, and I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ. And you can find our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily sidebar. Sidebar.